I now request uh, Vishwa. It's so wonderful to see you all. Uh, Ed, Ed, myself, and Joy uh, work together. We went to the same college and we often share ideas and exchange ideas. And with uh, Viva and Rahul, it has been a great experience to uh, work here with you on this presentation. Uh, thank you so much for Harikiran Vadlamani and Indic Academy and Advaita uh, Academy to in bringing this uh, together, new voices uh, that are necessary. As I began to uh, study uh, Indian thought, uh, I came across something called Hindu Christian or interfaith dialogue. And to my horror, uh, it was hardly a dialogue. It has always been a one-sided interrogation, a one-sided dissection, if you will, uh, of Indian thought systems. Uh, but uh, the second horror I was noticing was that uh, the by excusing themselves of this conversation with Indian culture and Indian religion and literature, uh, the West itself was um, doing itself no favors because I think that when you do not have external voices in dialogue, uh, not only do you lose the, uh, the input from another, you also sort of forget what blind alley you could be going into. So with that view, uh, all three of us are trying to bring uh, modernity into a larger conversation uh, with more perspectives so that we can see exactly who we have become as a global culture and what we can do about it. Uh, I'm only going to bring together the presentations of uh, Viva, Rahul, Ed, and Joy so that we can open up uh, the discussion. So the key ideas are here in my uh, presentation. So let's, here you go. Um, the, the idea here is to show you a dystopia. Uh, the reason for showing us this is the, uh, the materiality and the destructibility of everything that is technological, something we just forget. We think that technology gives us life almost. And uh, according to Advaita also, um, or the philosophy I follow, uh, technology deals with dead matter, uh, that which we call jadam. And so, in this presentation, I want to frame the problem of ecology historically, world historically, transition, limits of the paradigm of modernity, and going forward to the ancients, which means that uh, we are not going to continue the history uh, as we have it so far, which will necessarily place the ancients as early or primitive or something that has been superseded. Rather, uh, it takes, um, takes 
us forward and sees ancient thought as inceptive and something that can actually profit us uh, in the next uh, stage of our lives. Framing the problem. Questions concerning man. This was something Joy Deep uh, focused on by giving the example of how man and his relationship to being was discussed by Heidegger. So I would like to bring that up in three headings, design, destiny, and disaster, uh, which means what is the nature of reality? What is the universe? What is man and what is man's place in it? So these are basic questions that uh, today Christianity answers in a certain way as that which is created by God. Science will say that which is created and material, but without God and so on. So the, just the overall design, the way we approach it makes a huge difference to thinking about what to do now. Uh, destiny. What is man's destiny? Does he have dominion on earth? Is man the steward of nature or is man a servant, uh, etc.? So what, what is man's role here? Uh, and as you saw, uh, the word dominion has come up uh, a few times. It comes up in Genesis 1, and Genesis 2, when God tells man uh, and woman in Genesis 1 that they have dominion over all animals. In Genesis 2, God tells, brings all animals together, gives them to man and say, you name them and whatever you call them according to your pleasure, uh, that will be their names. So bear in mind the relationship between uh, naming a thing uh, uh, or naming and, uh, and the issues of identity and so on that Ed touched on and disaster. Is there a destruction or disaster upcoming? Uh, this destruction or disaster is uh, understood differently in different cultures. It is pralaya for us uh, Hindus, but for Christians, it, it would be an apocalypse. The apocalyptic ending is essential for Christianity's message to be uh, continued. For example, uh, the apocalypse is pre prevented by the coming of the Messiah, which the Jews await and uh, so you know this judgment day and so on. Uh, so the destruction is not just something to be avoided uh, in many religions that destruction actually makes some kind of sense uh, to you, to the whole thing. So we went over some of the causes for an ecological crisis. Could it be overpopulation, emissions, greed, technology, exhaustion of resources, bad governments, human ignorance, human inertia, human intelligence, and the inevitable fate of the universe? Now, in each of these things, uh, except perhaps emissions and overpopulation, things like greed and bad governments were always the case. Uh, so uh, what is specific to our situation now? Uh, Lynn White was introduced to you uh, by speakers here, especially by Ed. 
uh, and I would like to uh, take you through um, how he relates modern science to Christianity. Let me read this quote. Modern Western science was cast in a matrix of Christian theology. Somewhat over a century ago, science and technology, hitherto quite separate activities, joined to give mankind powers which, to judge by, the, by many of the ecological effects, are out of control. If so, Christianity bears a huge burden of guilt. This, uh, Ed already read, the victory of Christianity over paganism was the greatest psychic revolution in the history of our culture. It has become fashionable to, to say that for better or worse, we live in a post-Christian age. Certainly, the forms of our thinking and language have largely ceased to be Christian, but to my eye, the substance often remains amazingly akin to that of the past. Uh, one of the tasks of my uh, presentation here, I'm going to go back to the previous one, modern Western science and Christianity uh, have served, and here again, uh, that Christian forms or Christian substance often remains here today. It is my view that there is no such, that there are two definitions of secularism. One definition of secularism says that the state does not adopt any religion and everyone is free to follow their own religion. Uh, the second definition of secularism is that secularism is the uh, is the loss of, of or closure of religion or talk about religion, which is a phenomenon that happens in Christianity after the death of God incident in 20th century that Nietzsche spoke about and Joy talked about. So we do, secularism really means the Christian God is dead. It does not just mean, uh, it does not mean um, all religions are the same or we shouldn't talk about religions. Now, Lynn White continuing, our daily habits of action, for example, are dominated by an implicit faith in perpetual progress, which was unknown to uh, Greco-Roman antiquity or to the Orient. For example, we believe in yuga cycles. It's not, uh, and our yuga cycles have also, uh, are also conditioned by certain things, uh, dharmic uh, uh, parameters such as dharmakshaya. So for example, uh, krita yuga, the first yuga is, uh, has more dharma and kali yuga the least. So it's the very opposite of uh, this kind of optimism. So, it is rooted in and in indefensible and is indefensible apart from Judeo-Christian teleology. The fact that communists share it merely helps to show what can be demonstrated on many other grounds that Marxism, like Islam, is a Judeo-Christian heresy. We continue today to live as we have lived for about 1700 years, very largely in the context of Christian axioms. So the old theology is as follows, design, destiny, disaster. What is the old theology? Reality is linear. 
historical and the story of man from creation to fall to salvation. Man has dominion over animals and nature because man is created in the image of God. Destiny. Man's destiny is to be hopeful of a future affected through God, neither through uh, taking care of the environment, uh, nor is it uh, 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 something that, that would make everything progressively blessed, uh, simply that man's destiny is to live here in hope, even though there is an apocalypse, through that apocalypse, man will be saved. Here's the disaster. The apocalypse is a part of God's plan, which is seen in human history. So we are not talking about some semi-philosophical uh, analytic uh, uh, situation called pralaya. We are actually talking about a kaboom incident in history. Now, I don't need to uh, say this, but you know, this is not a discussion on religion, Christian or pagan. We're merely understanding, exploring the question here. It's not a criticism of Christianity or Christian theology, which is anyway superior to ignorant political interpretations. Eric Erickson is a big time tweeting Republican here in the United States, and he tweets this I worship Jesus, not Mother Earth. He, meaning Jesus calls us all to be good stewards of the planet, but doesn't mean I have to care about global warming. So it is this kind of attitude that affects all of us uh, that, uh, that make it urgent for all of us to interrogate uh, Christian theology and discover uh, what in it is uh, not suitable for a, a new global community of human beings. Modernity, remember I said man has dominion over animals. Uh, this image um, is a sculpture which was sculpted by Rodin, uh, Auguste Rodin. It is called The Thinker. And I think this is a, a, a in, in the sculpture there is a paradigmatic representation of man's dominion, uh, which has all the old Old and New Testament glorification, anthropocentricity of, uh, of an old theology, uh, but also that the thinker now can exercise his dominion in a brand new systematized way, i.e. a mechanical way. So uh, around this time, there was a someone called Volcasson uh, constructed this duck. This duck is called the mechanical duck. It would be fed something and uh, it would, through a process, sort of create an excrement which was different from what you fed it. So the amazing thing was that life itself was nothing but a mechanical process. So surely nobody called this duck a living thing, but on the other hand, living things were considered machines, you see. So uh, in many ways, modernity continues uh, the anthropocentricity inaugurated in ancient Judeo-Christian scripture. 
So if you look at the theology of modernity now, look at how many items we have in common with that old theology. Reality is linear, historical, man is rational and thus unique. Nature is mechanical and useful to man as resources. Man's destiny is to be hopeful of a future effected through not God, but science, technology, progress, and he can make his own heaven called utopia disaster. Catastrophe is a part of nature. Humans are stewards who can study it and maybe reduce or postpone some of it. So this is the reason why without changing the Western view of man as somehow a privileged central uh, being in, in all that exists, uh, if we do not change that, uh, that is, we cannot hope for a robust solution to the kind, kind of problems we are facing. Uh, just to uh, drop this uh, hint, uh, even when uh, Greta Thunberg stands up and says, you know, we have, we have to do something. I accuse you all. Why don't you, you have allowed this to happen and so on. Uh, Greta Thunberg is now the latest incarnation of this Rodin's thinker. So what is needed is something that Western philosophy cannot provide anymore uh, for the well-being of a global community. It needs voices that, that are outside this paradigm altogether. So modern technology reveals the anthropocentricity of uh, technology. Uh, modern technology, too, is uh, a means to an end. Uh, think about it. We will master it. The will to mastery becomes all the more urgent, the more technology threatens to slip from human control. So I, I recommend a transition, a five-fold transition from modernity to the ancients, from the Christian conception of reality to a pagan model, from anthropocentricity to cosmology, where we say the universe is the thing and we are a part of it, from historicity to poetry, where, where we need not reduce everything to materiality, but allow the, the poetry allows us, like the rishis, to see value and singularity in various uh, beings, not just humans, but plants, rivers, mountains, uh, stars, etc. And the, from the will to power, where I'm trying to, uh, to dominate and control external nature, to a self-mastery, where I, I become my own master in that my desires are governed by my intellect. My intellect uh, receives its instructions from, from uh, scripture. So from moderns to ancients, this is why I started reading the Mahabharata in a big way. So I will skip that. Uh, from Christian conception of reality to a, to a pagan model, uh, 
and from anthropocentricity to cosmology. This I kind of want to talk about uh, in greater detail. Uh, every time you read a, a text in uh, Upanishads or, 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 or so, you end up with, uh, with, the, with yourself, uh, but that, but where, I, let me stop sharing here. Where I end up with myself is where I have actually lost my ego self. So it, when, when the discussion finally comes in the Upanishads to Tatvamasi, I want to know what it says about the Tvam. And in saying that, in saying that, in, in doing the Tatvamasi, in saying the Tvam, I expect an answer such as you have dominion over, but in, in the identity with Brahman, I lose even that. So that seemed to me to be quite interesting. And sorry about that. And let us continue. So I will skip these because that is the transition uh, and uh, focus on this one, uh, one diagram. It shows that the cosmology we have is not just a material cosmology or a list or categorization of entities. It is based on dharma. So that dharma has two, two components, pravriti dharma and nivriti dharma. Pravriti dharma has many things, but nivriti dharma or moksha dharma does not change. Uh, Pravriti, so this would be truly Sanatana Dharma. Pravriti Dharma has two functions. One is Dharana portion, which upholds the universe according to various laws, natural laws and uh, laws of physics and so on. And it has a Palana function, which is normative Dharma. Normative Dharma is macroscopic, microscopic, mesosmal. Macroscopic is the avatarana and the bharavatarana functions when being itself becomes a being and, uh, and well, cleans up the place. Uh, microscopic dharma is my svadharma and mesocosmic is raja dharma, apadharma, varnashrama dharma, kula dharma, jata dharma, shri. It can be many, many things. However, uh, these are yuga dharmas. They change from age to age. So it would be a huge mistake to put uh, yuga dharmas together with moksha dharma and call it sanatana dharma. Only this portion is sanatana dharma. And the fact that there will be these mesocosmic dharmas that must be followed is also part of the sanatana dharma. But the explicit rules such as caste and so on are uh, not part of sanatana dharma. 
So you have to live dharmically for the welfare of the world. This is how to live. So my, I am not here for dominion over anybody or anything. I have to live dharmically for the welfare of the world. Uh, the words that come to mind about the welfare of the world are loka samgraha, which I think is a fantastic uh, term. Uh, I will never be able to go into adharma because that's egoistic and selfish. It's outright demonic. But I can escape this through knowledge for liberation. But as long as I'm here, I better be serving uh, the world through Loka Samgraha. And uh, I would like to uh, take a couple of minutes to tell you the story of desire and technology in Greek stuff. I'll keep it very, very short. So the, the story is of Minotaur. Minotaur is the son of a king uh, who had uh, broken a promise to the god Poseidon, he's the god of the ocean, to sacrifice a bull. Could you hold on one second, please? Let me drink a cup of water. Wild wish was away, Ed. Do you wish to unmute yourself and we can speak a little? So, by all means. I loved your distinction between the what and the who, the, the way you showed that with a bull, uh, you know, the beef and the named cow. Yeah. That was just a beautiful uh, distinction. Vishwa, are you back? That was my favorite slide, too. Okay, so the story is that uh, that Poseidon does not sacrifice a bull to the god as he had promised he would do. So uh, due to the curse of the god, his queen, Pasiphae, Pasiphae, but we'll call her Pasiphae, Pasiphae is uh, falls in love with uh, that very bull. Uh, in order to consummate her unjust and excessive and mad desire, she goes to a technologist who is the first technologist called Daedalus. Uh, and Daedalus constructs a wood, wooden cow and puts a cowhide on it. Sitting inside that, she goes to the bull and satisfies her urges. Uh, a son is born to her who's called Minotaur. He has the head of a bull and the body of a boy. Now, uh, the idea I want to bring forward is that technology is not just always good. Technology allows you to trespass dharma as well. In our tradition also, compared to the descriptions of Ayodhya, the descriptions of Lanka with all its technology stands out. It is, of a, whereas the, the good Sikh Naimisha forest, uh, the, the more uh, adharmic people seek flying chariots and so on. So uh, uh, then in order to hide that, that monster, uh, he has 
a labyrinth built King Minos, and this labyrinth is also uh, this labyrinth is also constructed by Daedalus. So you see how Daedalus is progressively uh, uh, making adharma possible by appearing to uh, compensate for uh, for the consequences of adharma. And then locked up in here, uh, the Minotaur is, can eat only human beings that are thrown into the labyrinth. But a hero called Theseus comes and using a, uh, using a, 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 a string so he does not get lost, he kills the Minotaur. So here are two images of the death of the Minotaur. And the a hero, Theseus, is worshipped as a savior. And here is the dead Minotaur. This is from a fresco in uh, Pompeii from someone's home. So this whole story shows you that technology is always problem can can always become problematic. Something can start off as a good thing, and it can end up as something uh, terrible. Uh, Socrates, on the other hand, says philosophy is preparation for death, whereas uh, technology is postponement of death. Uh, philosophy is actually preparation for death, whereby we understand that death is the separation of the body and the soul, and that the soul has to be rational and controlling its desires allow the most rational part of one's being to uh, shine through. Quite a different view uh, of between these two of what man is. So even though Socrates is here in the center, uh, Socrates points not to himself or is not thinking within his head, uh, but points to uh, the soul and its upward journey. Now, uh, we live in a political system which roughly falls into capitalism and communism, and all political systems are somewhere in between these two. If I asked you to, this is, this is supposed to be, look at this, United States Shipping Board, mm -hmm. and the one on the right says, uh, uh, this is Russian, obviously, uh, which one do you think talks about critiquing desire? Neither one. That is the problem we are he here, uh, that we have to face here today. So both in both cases, a kind of material progress or satisfaction of our desires, either through a lot of money as capitalism promises or through a perfect government and a perfect state as the communist government promises. It's still about the, uh, the gigantic anthropocentricity of being a human. And this is why Marxism will never work because it's childish. It has not taken uh, a human being as a desiring agent and, uh, and ha having completely forgotten forgotten the greed factor that is part of all of us, um, it, it is not fit for, uh, for, it's no longer a viable model for the environmental issues that are coming up. So 
both these are egotistical societies, communism and capitalism. Uh, what is the difference between an egot egotistic versus a dharmic society? In egotism, man is the measure of all things. All my needs and desires must be satisfied. In fact, uh, in contemporary societies, it is my right that all my desires are satisfied. Any limits on me violates my subjectivity, whereas in dharmic society, higher principles exist, everyone is a part of a whole and must contribute to the public good. Gita chapter three uh, lays these three uh, uh, together. For example, everyone is a part of a whole is signified by the word yajna. Uh, the, the higher principle exists is this is the teaching I gave earlier to Vivaswan and Manu, and this is Dharma, and everyone must contribute to the public good is called Loka Sangraha. And just the modern word subjectivity is quite different from the word soul. Subjectivity shows things are the way they appear to me, I'm already justified and I affirm my subjectivity through rejection and rebellion, collecting views and experiences to write up a narrative on my personality and affirming my identities. Whereas when you come to the, when you start thinking about yourself in terms of a soul, philosophical principles, Uh, philosophical principles instead of common sense perceptions are more important. The individual is characterized by ignorance and multiplicity, must strive to become unified, must accept guidance by spiritual authority, and might, must dehis from identities and emotions. I have a few more uh, but uh, the important thing is uh, what about rethinking desire? And this you can find uh, everywhere in the Bhagavad Gita. And that is for me the final word on how to rethink ourselves.